You're listening to The Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, Sideshow's very own comic book podcast. Join us as we celebrate New Comic Book Day every week and discuss the latest releases, the biggest announcements, and more from your favorite publishers. What's in your comics hall? Hey, everybody. I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Jasmine. And welcome to the Comics Hall. Today we are covering all of the releases from the week of Wednesday, February 24th. But joining us, we also have our lovely new moderator. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. Uh, Rob, I'll be in the chats with you on YouTube, Instagram, and Let Your Geek Side Show. So if you have any questions or anything like that, shoot them my way and I'll do my best to pass them on. All right. Rock and roll. So, you know, like every good comic book run, even Batman artists have to take a week off. Paul will be back next week, but we do still have a great show for you guys. Jazz and I have pulled some comic book news for you guys. Uh, So let's jump right into that with the biggest uh, piece of news that Paul was texting me about and saying, please, please, please include this in the show. Uh, so our first piece of comic book news is that the Department of Truth, a, a book we love here at the Comics Hall, has been picked up for television series. As reported by The Hollywood Reporter, James Tynan IV and Martin Simmons' runaway hit, The Department of Truth, has been picked up by Sister, which is a production banner of Elizabeth Murdoch, Stacey Snyder, and Jane Featherstone. Um, they are previously known for working on projects like Chernobyl and Gangs of London. Uh, Tynan will co-write the series script and then he and Simmons will executive produce the project. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Department of Truth deals with a mysterious government organization that uh, focuses on the way that conspiracy theories can actually alter the fabric of reality if enough people believe in them. Uh, so there's no release date for this series just yet, but uh, you might want to pick up the, the volume one trade. I believe that's out in stores this week and it is flying off the shelves thanks to this recent announcement. Awesome. Um, Our next piece of news is that the comic book dies to end at issue 20. Um, And Kieran Gillen, the writer of that, he got the British Fantasy Award. So congrats to Kieran. Um, A lot of you may know him because Amy and I talk about The Wicked and the Divine all the time. All the time. And he wrote that (laughs) all the time. So with the reveal of Image Comics May 2021 solicitations, it's been revealed that writer Kieran Gillen and artist Stephanie Hans will conclude their creator-owned title, Die, with issue 20, a fitting number given the book's association with 20-sided dice. The final arc titled Bleed kicks off with May's number 16 as the characters go on to one final dungeon delve to save themselves. Just this week, Gillen and Hans were also awarded the British Fantasy Award for Best Comic or Graphic Novel for their work on Die. So again, congrats to them, and you should all check out Die, and then you can get the trade if you haven't been getting the single issues. Yeah, and that the best way we can pitch that is what they solicited it originally as. It is goth Jumanji with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, so have fun <laughs> with that. Um, next up, we've got a couple of scheduling uh, delays and reschedules for Image and Marvel Comics. Um, the finale of Marvel's current King in Black event has been slightly delayed, as many comic book events are, um, but it has taken a few titles along with it, so as not not to spoil uh, the tie-ins that come at the end of the series. So King in Black number five, which is the conclusion of the event, will now hit stands on April 7th, which is about a two-week delay. Uh, and as a result, Venom 34 and 35, and number 35 is the 200th Venom overall, uh, those have been pushed back to April 7th and May 5th. And then Planet of the Symbiotes and the Fantastic Four King in Black tie-in have been moved from March 10th to dates in April. So You can look for this event to be completely nicely wrapped up just before May's Heroes Reborn, but we still got a little ways to go to tie up some of the loose threads. But uh, from Image Comics, we have a rescheduling of a highly anticipated series conclusion. Ascender is back on the schedule after its long-delayed final arc. Uh, Earlier this year, it was noted that solicitations were canceled for the final 
uh, books of the series. They just needed some time to reschedule and restructure while the creative team took some personal time. Uh, and Image has resolicited. So the arc, uh, the last arc, which I believe is called Starseed, will begin with number 15, and that will launch on May 26th. So you can return uh, that to your pull list. So you can make sure that the stores that you shop at are carrying that for you. And then as planned, uh, fingers crossed, no other interruptions occur, a sender will be able to proceed on time to the end of its uh, series. So that's that's the follow-up to Descender, a uh, fabulous book from Image Comics. It is back on track, so we're glad to see that hitting the stands again soon. Awesome. And finally, at the Digital Comics Pro event, DC Comics revealed 11 new surprise series announcements for 2021. The publisher said more information would be coming throughout the year, but fans can look forward to these new titles later this year, which are... And bear with me because there's so many and they're all so exciting. So we have Deathstroke Incorporated or Inc. A Harley Quinn animated series sequel. Yay! I know Amy's a huge Harley Quinn animated fan. A Wonder yep. Woman 80th anniversary title. Elseworld, which is half of the new center of the DC Omniverse. DC Vampires, a working title. Robin and Batman, Joker, a puzzle box. The Legend of Batman, Crush and Lobo. So all you Lobo fans, you're getting that. Nubia and the Amazons and DC Middle Ages. So th these are all super exciting. They sound very different and like they're going to immerse us in a huge world of DC comics on the screen. So DC fans, I hope you're all looking forward to at least one, if not all of those. I'm looking forward to DC Vampires, though I do want to know what the official title is going to be, because that is just the working title. But uh, after seeing them tackle the zombies in Deceased, uh, I'm sure a, a take on other creatures of the night will be just as exciting. Absolutely. I'm, I'd be interested to see the Flash as a vampire, to be perfectly honest. Like, oh, no. Oh, that is the, <laughs> just be that is the last person you want being a vampire. Like, Batman, fine. He's already got the costume. Great. The Flash is a vampire. I am on the first ticket out of... I'm, I'm off the planet. Superman, take me somewhere else, We're please. We're all gone. That's, that's a Ooh. rampage. That's not good. Um, sorry, that, that mental image is horrible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but uh, that is it for our comic book news this week. We don't have a panel of the week because that is a long-running feud between myself and Paul, and I don't want to get in the way of that. Uh, give give me a week to, to rest my ego. But we do have our next segment, the weekly haul. Uh, and what a haul this week is. Uh, it is the last week of the month, but there are plenty of new titles coming out. Uh, notable books that you guys will want to keep your eyes on. So we're going to start out with our pick of the week, uh, a little title from Marvel called Marvel Voices Legacy Number 1. Uh, now, Jasmine and I both checked out this title, uh, and it is an anthology series. Um, this is the third, I believe, uh, comic in the Marvel's Voices lineup, um, of course, based on the incredible podcast Marvel's Voices, which is, um, it's not a storytelling, well, it is a storytelling podcast, but it is not a narrative podcast. It is hosted by Anjali Crochet, and it is meant to uplift and spotlight diverse voices in the storytelling community. And so some of the personalities who have appeared on the podcast and gotten to talk about their favorite comic book loves um, have contributed to these anthologies. And so this one is specifically for uh, Black History Month. This is the, uh, the again, the third, the previous Marvel's Voices was the uh, Indigenous Voices. And this one boasts a lot of uh, incredible talent. I'm going to get started here with, I'm going to do writers, artists, colorist, but they are all different creative teams. So we've got John Ridley, Mohali Mashigo, Stephanie Williams, Tochi Onyabuchi, uh, Nettie Okorafor, and Danny Lore as the writers. And then we have Olivier Coapel, Chris Allen, Natasha Bustos, Ken Lashley, Chris Cross, and Valentine Delandro on art. And then for colors, 
couple of colorists to repeat. We've got Laura Martin, Rochelle Rosenberg, Juan Fernandez, and Dan Brown. And this is a jam-packed anthology with six unique stories, plus a little backup bonus that isn't part of the main anthology, but there's a cool ongoing bonus story initiative uh, running through Marvel Comics this month. So, uh, Jazz, you wanna you wanna kind of start us off with a little bit of like I don't know your first reactions to this anthology. Um, so right away, I was super excited. I love kind of I love anthologies in general. You get so many characters in in a normal comic book page amount, um, and you just get to see everybody's stories. And I like uh, seeing how writers condense those stories within the short amount of time that they have. My favorite. Uh, story in this was actually the starting one words do matter which was about miles morales because it there were so few um word blocks in there and john ridley just captured so much uh it would it would say kind of an insult or something bad that miles or somebody else could feel about themselves and then cross out a couple words one word um, and change it into a more positive affirmation while it goes through Miles kind of feeling alone in his city and then fighting a bad guy while he's all suited up. And it's all about finding that power within yourself and self-love. And it, it was really, it was a really beautiful way to start off the anthology and absolutely my favorite story that was included. Um, the colors are gorgeous. The panels go through. We see sometimes like Miles breaking out of the borders of it in a tiny little Miles, <laughs> which is one of my favorite pages. Um, and it conveys it conveys so much like time passing and almost his entire story and who he is as a person in these few pages. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That was a fabulous story to um, open the anthology. And when you actually get to the credits page in the book, it does say start here. Because usually with an anthology, you can jump around. All of the stories are uh, disconnected, but unified in theme. Um, but uh, in terms of accessibility, because it is a short anthology, you don't have to have an extensive knowledge of each of these Marvel characters. A familiarity with them helps, of course, uh, especially for one of my particular favorites, which is the Blade story. Because uh, you got to know that Blade is a daywalker, but um, they they don't require a massive comic book knowledge. You don't have to be the foremost domino expert to understand what's going on in her story. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially playing with the form uh, in the way that John Ridley and then Olivier Coapel do for the Miles Morales story, using so few words to make such a big impact. And I, and I really do love that. Like one of the examples that stood out was you are alone. And then alone was crossed out and it says, you are one, like you are, you're a complete person. You're not alone by yourself. You are a complete person. And so that was a really nice way to show um, Miles's journey. Now, uh, if you're a fan of the anthology format for comics, this is obviously a must pick up. Um, and then the characters that are spotlighted, in case any of these tickle your fancy, are Miles Morales, Domino, Monica Rambeau, Riri Williams, Blade, and then there is a Nigerian tale from the Venomverse. So it does feature uh, a number of superhero characters, but notably a uh, character from the Venomverse, who I'm actually admittedly not very familiar with if they've been in other comics. Um now, we're not going to do a full, full aim on this, but I do want to give you guys uh, the heads up. This is a $4.99 issue that tends to be consistent for Marvel's event issues or slightly oversized. And this is slightly oversized. It's a 35-page issue. Uh, 35, Yeah, 35-page 35 issue. Um, it is a one-shot. There's not going to be a continuation. And you don't have to have read the other Marvel Legacy, Marvel's Voices uh, series 
to understand what's going on here. Plus, as most Marvel comics do, it includes a free bonus edition. So you can uh, check that out, give it to a friend. You can download it to your digital collection. Um, it does come. So it's, it's basically getting two comics for the price of one. So if you buy a physical copy, you get the digital bonus edition. Uh, and then otherwise, this was a big release from Marvel this week, one of the uh, the larger notable releases. Um, and there's also at least four or five variant covers, very beautiful, um, each kind of spotlighting a different character. So there is a Miles cover, there is a Shuri cover, there's a, uh, a Monica Rambeau cover. Um, and so your store should have plenty of copies. And it's important to note also, if you're coming into this from WandaVision, perhaps you're going to see a very different Monica Rambeau than you're used to, but it is still kind of great to see people taking an interest in her um, from WandaVision. Um, but it is a little different. So be prepared for that. Just there's, there's never a one-to-one uh, crossover, but it's, it's great. A couple of writers are making their Marvel Comics debut with this. And it's just a, it's just a really nice kind of appetizer plate of comic book character stories that you don't have to have uh, a huge knowledge of. And then it is worth pointing out that there is a bonus Storm story in the back. Um, there's a Marvel co- collaboration with, um, with uh, kind of spoken word artists in the back. And so uh, Danny Lore, who writes the Blade story, also writes a Storm story in collaboration with uh, St. Bodie as a kind of... So it's not... It's not a whole part of the anthology. It will be featured in Black Panther uh, later this month as well, but it, you do get a bonus story. So that's that's what you get for your four ninety nine. All righty. Any anything else you wanted? To, I didn't know if you wanted I know, to say I was anything. Thinking, else. I, w- I wanted to kind of say. Um, Amy mentioned the Monica story. It's like this. It's called Panic at the Supermarket, and that one stood out to me because the rest are kind of very action-y superhero there's you know fighting and everybody saving the day and stuff and panic at the supermarket is just this cute little story about um them all shopping for monica's dad's birthday and then at the end it kind of there's like a kerfuffle and everybody's the heroes that are featured in it are like oh we're gonna go save the day um but it's it's definitely one that has a different tone within the anthology than the rest of them Mm -hmm. so if you're looking for a super light-hearted story within it Definitely read it from, you know, from Words Do Matter to Nighttime Modega Run, read the whole thing. But it, it was, it was sweet. Yeah. And it's always nice to get to see the characters in a, in a slightly more uh, calm and mundane setting, uh, if you will. Because mm-hmm. you got to remember that even, even costumed superheroes do have to go to the grocery store every now and then. And that, that can be uh, its own challenge more so than uh, fighting any supervillain on the streets of New York City. But uh yeah, that's that's Marvel's Voices Legacy number one out this week from Marvel Comics. So next up, I'm going to take a chance to do a couple of quick aims for a couple of uh, new number ones that are coming out at the end of the month. It's very interesting. A lot of publishers do have a lot of new number ones, even though we're in the last week of the month, a little bit of a shorter month. Um, so I'm going to aim two books for you guys, one from Image Comics and one from Boom Studios. I'd like to start with Stray Dogs number one from Image Comics. Now, if you guys are not familiar with our AIM segment, uh, AIM is the kind of uh, evaluation system we like to give to books. Um, we don't like to do numbers here. We like to do a more qualitative assessment that gives you all the tools that you need to know going in to make an informed purchase. So the A in AIM stands for accessibility, both in terms of how easy is it to grab and read uh, and understand the story and what's going on. Do you have to have prior back knowledge? And how easy is it to grab and read? Where can you find it? Is it going to be easily available? Is this a small publisher? Is this the biggest release of the week in your store? Probably overordered. Um, so that is how accessible the story is. Um, then we have interest. 
are there similar books that you're reading uh, that we could recommend? If you like this, then you might like this other title. And also, who who is this book geared towards? Uh, Stray Dogs especially has a very uh, very childlike appeal, but it is not for kids. Um, and then M is money or the monetary value. How much does it cost? How many pages are you getting? Are there any special reasons why it may be priced up or down? Uh, just want you to know what you're getting uh, in terms of bang for your buck. So with that, I'm going to jump right into Aiming Stray Dogs, number one. This is written by Tony Fleece, uh, with art by Trish Forstner and colors by Brad Simpson. Now, Fleece and Forstner are uh, no strangers to comics. However, you might not recognize their credits. They are from the My Little Pony series um, specifically, but this is a, uh, a miniseries horror story. So don't be fooled by the cute and cuddly exterior. This is uh, a very, very interesting little book. Uh, pretty big release this week. I don't think your store would have overlooked it, but make sure uh, if you're interested that they've got a copy for you. In terms of accessibility, this is a true number one. Independent books that are creator-owned don't require you to have read um, a lot of other things, with exceptions of sequel series like Abbott uh, 1973 from Boom Studios, which is the follow-up to the original Abbott. This is a completely new miniseries. You don't have to know anything going in. Um, it is part of a five-issue miniseries, so you know how many uh, books you can be looking for. And your store should have plenty available. But if not, it is on Comixology, so you can check that out if you are a digital reader. In terms of interest, bear with me here. This is The Secret Life of Pets meets Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> it is a... Um, it is a it is a cute and cuddly looking horror story um, that has a, a bit of murder mystery element to it. And it has the artistic sensibility of All Dogs Go to Heaven or Oliver and Company, if that's your style. It does very purposely have the kind of vibrant and animated uh, look to it. And uh, Forstner does an amazing job with that, having done the My Little Pony comics and capturing that animation style. Um, some of the dog designs look like the kind of archetypal animated pugs and then kind of street dogs and chihuahuas. These are your kind of animated classics uh, brought into a new light. The first issue does a really great job at establishing the story. doesn't give too much of the mystery away. Um, it discusses the topics of how much a dog remembers if their short-term memory, uh, as, as humans believe, dogs don't really have a short-term memory to remember things that happened, uh, but they remember your face. They remember commands. Um, and so we follow a stray dog who is brought into a new kind of shelter and she's introduced to all of her uh, compatriots now who give her the lay of the land. But she discovers that there's something a little sinister um, or a little suspicious about the the gentleman who brings all these stray dogs home to his farm. Um, without giving away too much else, it is a fun little romp. Uh, definitely, definitely something I'm going to be reading for the whole five issues because the first issue just draws you in, but they don't give you enough of the mystery right away, which is exactly the point of a five issue miniseries. Um, this book is rated T plus. This is a good time to remind you that in fact, a lot of comic books do receive ratings like movies and like video games. And you can often find the rating on the barcode. Um, this one specifically is T plus. There is some mild swearing and there is some darker subject matter. So despite the adorable looking dogs, this is uh, setting up to be a slightly more mature, but not hardcore mature uh, mystery. And if you are a variant cover fiend uh, or a horror fan, you're going to want to check out uh, the full lineup of solicitations they've got so far because there are incredible film homage covers for every single issue, uh, including if you're watching live on the podcast or uh, live on the live stream, you can see right behind me, I picked up the Silence of the Lambs cover this week. Um, 
great right out the gate. They haven't solicited the fifth cover yet, uh, but Tony hints that that may be the best of all. They saved the best for last, but there is a Carrie uh, parody cover. There is a Pet Cemetery cover, of course. Um, just a lot of really fun classic film poster uh, variants. And those are open order, so they're not like um, specially priced up or anything, so your store should have those available and open to you. Now, this is a $3.99 issue, and I believe that all issues of the series will be $3.99 in terms of the M on our AIM scale. Uh, and the first issue is about 34 pages. So um, a great opening issue, and you will get a lot of uh, entertainment value for the story. And I, I was just so impressed by the animated style of the comic. And I think I've said this for a few other series, a few other select series on this show. Um, it feels as close to reading an animation uh, as you can get. It just, it feels like you're watching something, just your eyes are doing the, the animating of the panels. Um, such a, such a fun and weird little release this week. Uh, so definitely don't let stray dogs slip under your radar radar. That is from image comics this week. Up next, I wanted to go to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number, uh, Faith, number one, from Boom Studios. Uh, of course, I am a sucker for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and this is a fun and unique uh, one-shot release from Boom Studios, written by Jeremy Lambert, with art by Eleonora Carlini, and colors by Mattia Iacono. Now, in terms of accessibility, for, yeah, peep that beautiful Kevin Wada cover. There are five covers available this week, but most of them are incentive variants. Uh, but if you're just picking up the normal issue, you get a beautiful watercolor style uh, designed by Kevin Wada. Now, in terms of accessibility, this is a, a notable release from Boom Studios, but it is a tie-in to the main Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. So the orders and availability at your store may be dependent on the fact may be dependent on the general interest that they receive for the main Buffy series. So if not a lot of people at your store are ordering this book, this might be a little harder to find, but it is a one shot. And despite it being a tie in, it is completely a standalone tale. Um, you don't have to be reading the main story to completely understand what's going on. And in fact, this book is required reading. If you're already reading Buffy, it will help inform you of uh, details in the main story, but it stands alone. Uh, well enough on its own. It is a one-shot and prequel that gives perspective on Faith the Vampire Slayer. She is a fan favorite wild card in the Buffy cast. She had her own series with Angel the Vampire when the license was at Dark Horse, uh, but this is the new modernized, revitalized version of Faith for what is dubbed the Buffy reboot. It is. It actually takes place, you see in the comic there's a date and it takes place at Christmas uh, in 2019. So it is a modernized version of the story rather than being set in the late 90s. Um, in terms of interest, if you're enjoying the main Buffy book title, you got to pick this one up. If you're not already reading the main Buffy title or you're you're a fan of the TV series but haven't really delved into the comics, this is worth a look. Uh, it definitely is. Faith is a character who didn't have a lot of information revealed about her in the television series. Um, a lot of it came through later publications and uh, some novels that are considered not canon necessarily, but she never really had a proper backstory in the comics. Um, this is an entirely new version, so also it's not the same version of Faith that you have in the television series. Um, however, if you're not a Buffy fan, there's no reason for me to recommend this to you. I will be completely honest. It stays within... It stays in its lane and it plays in the world of Buffy. But if you're not reading Buffy or you're not interested, then 
I wouldn't go for it. However, if you're kind of looking for a place to dip your toes in and see whether or not uh, the main Buffy series is for you, then I would definitely recommend picking this up. It is told through nonlinear storytelling and the framework that Faith is a child who is kind of neglected and abused, and she grows up a fan of movies because movies are the fantasy worlds she can escape into, and particularly she likes Die Hard. So um, that's a fun kind of story element that helps anchor you to the tale. Um, in terms of M, the money in this, uh, this is a hefty book. It is $7.99, and if you're going for any of the variants, they are a little more expensive, depending on uh, your store's order rate. Uh, however, it is about a 41-page story, and as I can recall, there are no advertisements, so it is no fluff, no filler, all story. Um, and I really enjoyed it. She gets a great new redesign uh, by El Eleonora Carlini. Um, because uh, Eleonora has not been the main artist for the Buffy series. Uh, but this one's a lot of fun. It, I wanted to cover it because she's my favorite character in the show, uh, and I love her comic book adventures as well, and so I've been waiting for them to introduce her into the ongoing uh, Boom Studios series. So a uh, little bit of a shorter aim because of the fact that I can't give away too much of the spoilers, uh, and it is very contingent on whether or not you're familiar with the character or the world of Buffy in general. But it's a great release this week from Boom Studios and definitely worth your time. And with that, I think we're going to take it over to Cover Story because Jasmine uh, has a book that isn't coming. It's not out this week, but the next issue is coming out very soon mm -hmm. and wanted to introduce you all to a little something that she loves. So, Jazz, why don't you take it away? Yeah, absolutely. So what I will be covering and um, not exactly aiming, but I will talk about those categories a little bit in, while I'm talking about this book is The Dreaming Waking Hours, which is part of the Sandman universe. This is the beautiful cover um, for issue number one that came out many, many months ago. If you're all reading it, uh, go ahead and shout out in the comments. But Otherwise, it is on issue 7 and issue 8 is coming out. Issue 8 is also the start of the final arc of the series. This is, well, the first five issues were um, with art by Nick Robles. Now it's Javier Rodriguez, but the colors are Matt Lopez. And it is written by G. Willow Wilson, who is absolutely incredible and really immerses herself in the Sandman universe right away. Dreaming Waking Hours is about dream creating nightmares which is one of his main roles in his universe um but ruin the nightmare escapes the realm to go seek the boy he loves and in doing so he accidentally goes through the mind of lindy single mom and shakespearean scholar who's really struggling with her um defending her thesis for her doctorate which is about like who the true Shakespeare was. If any of you know any history about the Bard, it's really contested as to whether he wrote his works or not. So that's kind of what her her master's the or her doctoral thesis is about. And he traps her inside this crazy Stratford upon Avon ish nightmare where she's confronted with all of the different versions of who the Bard could have been, and then she's told that she has to figure out which one is the true bard, the true Shakespeare, if she ever wants to escape. But like her reality starts slipping. She's obviously stuck in the dream world. And then Ruin is on the run in the mortal world and is um, finding help in an angel and a wizard named Heather who was trained by John Constantine. So it's bringing a lot of the eclectic cast of the Sandman universe already, really nice cameo appearances from people that you know and love, 
Shakespeare obviously appears in most of Gaiman's work. He's a huge fan, and so am I. Um, in terms of accessibility, you don't have to have read all of Sandman to like this. However, I think it would be better if you had. I have not read all of Sandman. It started publishing before I was born, and I just cannot catch up. Um, but I know enough about it and have read enough that obviously like I knew who Dream was. Um, I knew Shakespeare would probably be popping up. Um, Constantine is in other things besides Sandman, even though he was introduced in it. So it's pretty accessible. Um, interest, again, like you have to be interested in Shakespeare to like this first arc. Um, <laughs> I think that even like if you have some remote understanding of some of Shakespeare's characters, it's nice. Like the cat is named Tybalt from uh, after Romeo and Juliet. As we move into the next arc, which focuses less on Lindy and more on Heather and her band of misfits like Ruin and like the angel and Todd, uh, her boy Heather's boyfriend. It focuses on the fairies, and there's one named Puck. So <laughs> it's it's very lots of little in in jokes there. Yeah, and it's, references. it's very Shakespeare oriented. Um, but if you like magic stories, if you like anything in Sandman, if you like um, kind of discovery stories, and uh, really the magical element is really what's gets me like this beautiful sprawling fantasy world that we're kind of familiar with, but then we get to see um, most recently the Raven as he introduces himself, Matthew, um, and then <laughs> <laughs> right, and then. Um, a baby gargoyle named Goldie. So she's like this all gold little globby looking gargoyle and she's adorable. She just goes around saying meep and it's very cute. <laughs> um, it is 17 plus, the Dreaming Waking Hours. Uh, it's a lot of dark themes. There was some body horror. There's lots of blood and violence. Um, so definitely 17 plus. Don't let think, your kids read this. <laughs> I think Chris has an asset. If we can get the the double spread page pulled up, and there was some mm -hmm. uh, creepy snake stuff going on there. Super so. creepy. So this is when it's beautiful, though. Yeah, this is when Ruin escapes into the the mortal world by taking over Lindy's dream. Uh, obviously, this is something that nightmares do. They go in, they take over normal dreams. Uh, Lindy's been going to this house though, like as a recurring dream. And he accidentally pushes too far into the nightmare world. And I really love how these borders and these panels and the double, the double spread is done because we get that overwhelming sense of him completely taking over the nightmare. He goes way too far. And that's kind of the whole gist about him. His name is Ruin. He, he takes everything too far. He ruins everything he touches. Um, <laughs> And he, he's just, he's such a, like, his coat is beautiful. It's like this rainbow and he's dressed really nicely, but he's just so downtrodden and eory about everything. He's like, I can't do anything right. And he's running away from dream, which is really hard to do. <laughs> and there's just an angel and a wizard helping him. So it, it's just incredible. And if you like really rich characters, gorgeous art, really vibrant colors, um, and a story that you can sink your teeth into like this isn't really a light read it is pretty like you have to really immerse yourself into the world um and think pretty critically about everything that you're seeing um it's it's really gorgeous uh i'm pretty sure they're going to be 12 issues total and there haven't been any trades so far so they'll just collect those all together 
and I really recommend if you cannot find the backstories at your comic shop to order this. It is such a cool addition to the Sandman universe and something that and anybody who's like slightly into Shakespeare, just into Constantine-ish type magic stuff, <laughs> uh, into cool wizard girls going to raves and kicking ass, like all of these things, if you like any of them. Or all of the above. <laughs> all of the above, really, like then the story is for you. That's really awesome. It sounds like it really follows in that legacy of of Gaiman's storytelling style. Oh, absolutely. Um, just does a really great job. And yes, it is probably part of, because uh, I, I looked for trade paperback copies and it hasn't been collected. So it is likely a maxi series mm-hmm. uh, from DC Comics, which of course, uh, for those of you who are repeat viewers, you know that Paul and I absolutely love our maxi series. They are just <laughs> such a great format. We've got Far Sector. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Strange Adventures. Of course, the Greg, Le- uh, Greg Rucka, Lois Lane, just DC is doing a fantastic job with those, and they've kind of identified that that's a great uh, kind of chunk of storytelling to really let a story uh, breathe. So that kind of does it for our weekly haul segment. We had a couple of things that were new this week, uh, something coming out next week with the next issue of The Dreaming, uh, just some fun stuff. So I wanted to go quickly for a rapid fire round and give you guys an update on the rest of uh, kind of the books that I pulled for the end of the month. So this week we had another X-Men. We've got X-Men number 18, and we're revisiting with Laura Kinney and the Children of the Vault. We haven't seen them in a little while. Um, Crossover number four from Image Comics. That is a continuation of Donny Cates' epic and ambitious comic book storytelling with some literal crossovers that are really cool. Uh, A couple of covers might spoil the, the twist at the end of issue three if you're not caught up yet so uh, keep an eye out for that then there's also captain marvel number 26 and this is the conclusion of the arc where carol has been thrown into the future and is dealing with the tyrannical son of namor and the enchantress uh, and she has to find a way to get back home and escape his weird apocalyptic paradise um We've also got Miss Marvel number 18. That is the final issue for the magnificent Miss Marvel. That is the last issue that Saladin Ahmed will be writing. Uh, and the book has not been resolicited. We don't know if there's going to be a new creative team, but this is the conclusion of Magnificent Miss Marvel, if you've been following that up to now. Up next, we've also got The Return of the Valkyries number three. That is the uh, penultimate issue in the King in Black tie-in before we hit the Mighty Valkyries in May. Um, and then we've, or no, in April, I'm sorry. Uh, and then we've got The Union number three. Uh, that is the third of five issues in the King in Black tie-in miniseries that I previously covered on our show. Uh, it is a new British-style superhero team with original characters that were originally supposed to debut in the Empire event, but they have been thrown into King and Black. We'll see how they're dealing with the symbiotes, but uh, things are looking a little dire about halfway through the arc. And then I also picked up the Eighth Immortal number two. This is the second issue by Jacob Murray and Alice Barnes. Uh, and this is, of course, uh, the the really cool story of the immortal prophecy in Kuripan, who has to make sure that there will never be an Eighth Immortal. There can only be seven. Uh, but her feelings get in the way of her upholding of the prophecy. Um, so there was a lot of great releases this week, and I think Paul will be covering a couple of his when he gets back next week. Uh, a lot of great releases. I know he wanted us to highlight Two Moons, number one from Image Comics. We'll let him do the talking on that, but that is a great new number one out this week from Image for those of you who like historical fiction and uh, horror as well. So that does it for the rapid fire round. Uh, But we did ask you guys some questions last week. We've got Holler at the Hall. That is our weekly segment where we ask you guys a thought-provoking, head-scratching question. 
and give you the chance to answer it, uh, come up with your wildest or best or most earnest responses, and we will read some of them live on the air. So last week, we asked the Let Your Geek Side Show group, if you had complete creative control over one comic book character, who would it be and why? And we got some great responses in the, the Facebook group from you guys. We got character answers. We got the why. Maybe they've been underutilized. And we got a couple of uh, perspective pitches. So you guys can check that out at Let Your Geek Side Show. It is marked as an announcement. But Michelle McNeil chose Firestar. She was created to be a roommate for Iceman and Spider-Man for the cartoon Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Human Torch wasn't available. And she's an underrated character that deserves exposure. Andrew Wershburn says, Deadpool. I mean, come on, everyone else has. Plus, with Deadpool, you can do nearly anything and then either claim it was a dream or time travel undoes it, or it's a wonderful life of Wizard did it. <laughs> that sounds about right with Deadpool storytelling. Right. That, is, that is the ultimate form of uh, creative control, which is complete creative chaos. Right. And then Tay Krieger said, Iceman of the X-Men, for a reason you might not expect. He has yet to truly go over to a darker side. Maybe perhaps a murder spree. Uh, we so do intense. see him dealing. That's really, I'm, I mean, he could do it. We've seen him do a lot of very interesting and a little morally gray things as part of uh, Kate Pride's team and the Marauders, including mm -hmm. freezing people solid, but all in the defense of Krakoa and the mutant sovereignty. Uh, but that is a very interesting character who... Uh, given given a chance to kind of explore that story, I know there was a, a short-lived Iceman series where he didn't necessarily go on a murder spree, but there are always dark potentials for characters. I mean, hey, if Jean Grey can go Dark Phoenix every other month, yeah. uh, let Iceman have a shot. Now, Jasmine, uh, I'm sure you've thought about your own answer for this. If you had complete creative control, who would you pick? I have. I went immediately to Padme Amidala because she is part of the Star Wars comic verse. Um, and I would just do this really sweet, like, kind of teen level, um, like how, how DC's been doing like Primer and Zatanna, like that kind of age range, mm -hmm. Padme and the Handmaidens thing where they'd go around while she was queen and she'd do all this like clandestine mystery solving uh, while being this amazing child queen. And just <laughs> uh, like, I would love it. It's like Scooby gang kind of Star Wars <laughs> in space girl mystery type adorableness like just with Padme because she's such an incredible character she's so intelligent and she has so much to offer the Star Wars universe yeah absolutely I mean we've only seen her really featured she had a one shot by Jodie Hauser which was fantastic for the Age of Republic uh she well, actually not she, but some of her handmaidens have appeared in the Darth Vader series uh, by mm -hmm. Greg Pak, but it it would be nice to have kind of the, the prime of her life. We also had that beautiful Princess Leia series by the Dodsons. Oh, yeah. I think Padme. I mean, if Lando and Lobot can get their own series, <laughs> I think it's high time for uh, Padme to get a feature. Right? Now, personally, I mean, I would 100% read your uh, Padme or, or your creatively directed Padme. Um, but again... Uh, Comics Hall fans know I am I am forever a champion for Elsa Bloodstone. I think she deserves her own ongoing series that takes her through the Marvel Universe hunting monsters and or I would love to see a most dangerous game style where she has to she's rounded up kind of like an inverse of Craven and his last hunt, you know, just rounded up some villains or even some superheroes and uh, on a secret island and she's hunting for sport. Uh, but I think there's a lot of potential with Elsa and I know that she featured in the Kelly Thompson Deadpool series because Kelly Thompson is doing the Lord's work. Uh, Elsa Bloodstone was also in the Jessica Jones series, two characters you'd never imagine to be on the same page. But I, I think it's high time with the availability of Marvel monsters and the concept surrounding the 
uh, profane British tea drinking monster slayer. <laughs> we got to have an Elsa Bloodstone renaissance. Come on, people. I Every time I'm going to say it <laughs> until it happens. <laughs> Give Amy what she wants. Please, please. I've been buying enough comics. I'm sure that translates to enough slush fund money that they could they could throw some into an Elsa Bloodstone series. But yeah. uh, until then, I will continue my internet campaign for that. <laughs> so, uh, Jasmine, I have asked you uh, as our uh, t- typical moderator turned guest host today to impart a question uh, for our dear audience for next week. So you want to introduce the, the question to them? Yes. Your new Holler at the Hall question is which comic book character has your favorite costume design? So think of all the comics, Marvel, DC, any um, outside of the big two image, you know, everything doesn't have to be a superhero, just your favorite costume design from any era. Um, and you can email us your answers to the question at thecomicshall at sideshow.com. We will also obviously post it in Let Your Geek Sideshow. And make sure you follow us at the Comics Hall on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we will um, be posting the, the question as well, and you can answer. All right. And I see that we did get a question uh, coming through that Andrew Wershborn has asked if I read Elsa's series during Secret War. You know what? Uh, I have not, because back when I was reading Secret Wars, I could only afford maybe three, four titles. I did not read all of Secret Wars, um, but I didn't realize that they had an Elsa Bloodstone series. So thank you for letting me know. I know what I'm doing as soon as I uh, sign off this show, because I had no idea that she had that. I think, unless unless that was the A-Force series, because I know she was in A-Force. No, because she wasn't in the A-Force Secret Wars, but I know she stepped into A-Force when that became a 10-issue series after Secret Wars. Uh, mm. But I will have to check that out. I'm going to have to read more Elsa Bloodstone because of your love for her. Like I have, um, they, they put out this amazing Hasbro box set for the A-Force after Secret Wars. And that was mm-hmm. actually, uh, Kelly Thompson was working on, uh, I believe, the Captain Marvel and the Carol Core book for Secret Wars. But she did work on the A-Force series where Elsa Bloodstone came in. Again, that's why I love Kelly Thompson. Uh, But Hasbro made this amazing um, Marvel Legends box of the A-Force characters. And there is an Elsa Bloodstone figure. So I do have one piece of merchandise. But uh, Andrew, thank you for letting me know that there was an Elsa Bloodstone series. I will have to check that out. See, that's why that's why we talk to you guys. Because no one person can read every single comic. Uh, Goodness knows that there are a billion releases every single week. Uh, that's a scientific fact. That's how many comic books there are every time. Uh, but that's why Paul and I got a balance. We got to bring on hosts and moderators who know what they're doing because together we form a complete uh, comics hive mind. But yeah. no one person, no one person can do it alone. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So I think that about does it for our show. Um, Jasmine, do you have any closing thoughts about uh something you desperately want the audience to know before uh, we see you on the mod side next week again? (laughs) I do, actually. I realized my background has um, Goldie the baby gargoyle in it. Oh, that's that's cute. So I wanted to share that with everybody in case you hadn't Google searched it, which is what I needed you to do because I need you all to see the amazing art and that adorable golden blob child. So there she is. (laughs) 
So if you guys are watching live, there you have it. That is Goldie the, uh, the Gargoyle. But if you guys are listening on the podcast format, which does go live on Thursdays after our Wednesday shows, um, hopefully all these books are still available for you to pick up, but you can uh, Google or go to sideshow.com slash geek. We will be posting a blog by the time that this podcast goes live, and we will have all of the visual assets from the show. So you can see the incredible Silence of the Lambs cover for Stray Dogs. You can see the awesome Kevin Wada artwork for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and the re- one of the really cool covers for Marvel Legacy. Um, see if we can track them all down for you guys so you can see the gallery of covers. But there were a lot of variant covers this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'll be sure that we uh, get that that asset so you guys can see Goldie the Gargoyle uh, <laughs> on the blog as well. So with that, don't forget to email your Holler at the Hall responses mm-hmm. to uh, the Comics Hall at Sideshow.com. You can also shout out at us at the Comics Hall on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we will post up the question in the Let Your Geek Sideshow Facebook group, and uh, we'll probably have another panel of the week showdown because uh, that that showdown waits for no vacation. Um, we'll be right back onto that next week, and we're going to be hitting the first week of the month. Uh, next week will be March 4th, March 3rd, March 4th, one of those days. Uh, oh my goodness, where did February go? Right. But uh, first week of the month means tons of new number ones for you guys, so we will be covering all of those next week uh, when we return for the Comics Hall. Until then, thank you guys for watching. As always, I'm Amy. I'm Jasmine. And this has been the Comics Hall. Thanks for watching. Bye, everybody. Thank you. This has been the Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, presented by Sideshow. Submit your response to our fan mail question of the week by emailing thecomicshall at sideshow.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, don't forget to vote on the panel of the week in the Let Your Geek Sideshow official Facebook group. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sideshow's official Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, and Periscope channels. And you can keep in touch with our show on social media at the Comics Hall on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, don't forget to let your geek side show. Mm